All right, boys and girls, here we go. At the time of this recording, there's a few spots left for our February 4th through the 6th seminar. After that, we have April 1st through the 3rd, and then June 3rd through the 5th. Camp's coming up, still a few spots left for our January 22nd self-sufficient lifter camp in Wichita Falls. Then our first ever lift, shoot, fight camp. That's a two-day camp in Wichita Falls held April 30th through May 1st. Definitely doing some lifting, definitely doing some shooting, and then some combatives mixed in all separately. We've got a squat camp coming up in Oklahoma City at Starting Strength Oklahoma City on January 29th with the man with the best haircut in the business, none other than Chase Lindley. Then some squat and deadlift camps still available. One spot left for Brussels, Belgium. That's on January 22nd. A few spots left for Orlando, Florida. That's also on January 22nd. And then one spot left February 26th in Indianapolis, Indiana. Congrats to all the new starting strength gyms that are open or are about to open. So we have starting strength Katie outside of Houston, starting strength Beaverton in Oregon, and starting strength Memphis in Tennessee. Also starting strength Chicago is still running their pre-sale event. And just so you know, folks, when you sign up for the gym, you're signing up for a specific day and class time, and the more popular class times tend to go the quickest, so don't delay. For example, Memphis only has two spots left for their Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 6.30 a.m. class. So if you're one of these psychopaths that likes to get up at 5 in the morning and lift, by all means, make certain you sign up for that spot. For more information on any of the gyms that have opened or will be opening, make sure to go to locations.startingstrengthgyms.com. And as usual, for more information on anything else that I've talked about, Head over to startingstrength.com. From the Asgard Company Studios in beautiful Wichita Falls, Texas, from the finest mind in the modern fitness industry, the one true voice in the strength and conditioning profession, the most important podcast on the internet. Ladies and gentlemen, Starting Strength Radio. Welcome back to Starting Strength Radio. Uh, we've been fortunate the past couple of weeks to have had some important guests with us. And today, uh, I am going to follow up with a topic that we touched on briefly in one of our previous episodes. I um, have a, a personal interest in the uh, prostate-specific antigen testing industry. And uh, we are fortunate today to have with us Dr. Joe Bush. Uh, Joe is in practice in Alpharetta, Georgia, and uh, he is probably the number one guy in the country to talk to about this very thing. He, uh, we, we got in touch with Joe through our friend Keith Nichols, and who we will talk to at, uh, here pretty quick again about a follow-up show on testosterone replacement therapy. And uh, Joe has uh, made a career out of dealing with human males and their prostate glands. And uh, he has arrived at a different conclusion than many of us have arrived at. And uh, I am deeply grateful for him being with us today on this show. Now, those of you that have a prostate, stop what you're doing and pay attention. Joe, thanks, man. Appreciate your coming on. Yeah, that uh, I really appreciate this opportunity to share with you uh, my experiences, which have been uh, prostate imaging uh, and uh, prostate treatment for the last 13 years as well. I only do three things in my practice. Uh, I image the prostate gland, and then I'm one of the very few people in the United States of America that do a, a precise target inside the MRI with a titanium needle <clears throat> so that I only stick the, the target lesion maybe two or three times. That's about it. And uh, actually take images of where the, the tissue was removed, where the biopsy took place. It's not a mystery. So let's go back to what you said. So uh, uh, this is 13 years of, of me imaging the prostate gland. Actually, I'm one of the uh, international teachers I'm part of the International Prostate Working Group. Everything I learned, I learned in Europe. They're way ahead of us on this topic. Uh, most of the research has been done in Europe. Uh, I had to spend quite a bit of time in Europe to learn how to do all this, including the biopsies. Uh, and of course, as you can imagine, one of the reasons a lot of the stuff that I do is not done in America because 
it would cost you money. In other words, you wouldn't make as much money. Uh, right. Uh, which that is sad. unfortunately is a factor in most of these decisions, isn't it? That is correct. And let's start with the PSA, which you brought up. So the way prostate cancer is diagnosed in America is really a fallacy. Uh, it's based on three techniques right now. Number one, the PSA, which you call prosthetic-specific antigen. I call it the prosthetic-specific anxiety, because if the PSA is over four in America, no matter what your age is, they're going to probably stick you. Uh, they're they're going to refer you to a urologist who's going to do, which is still accepted practice, a blind or a random biopsy. First of all, the PSA, when it's elevated, has an 80% chance of being normal. In other words, you do not have cancer. <laughs> so that, that, now, this, that's better. Just that, stop better right there than, for just a second, Joe. That's better that's, than Vegas, baby. That's just, Vegas. That is just absolutely astonishing that that bad uh, an indicator would be acted upon with a surgical procedure. Correct. You're exactly right. It's not allowed in Europe anymore. The, the, the guidelines in Europe have changed. You have to image the prostate before you can, you, you can stick the prostate. And uh, it's like, yeah. imagine taking a woman's breast and putting 12 or 14 needles in it and say, hey, we didn't get it this year. Come back next year. We'll do it again. Right. I mean, it, it, the prostate is the only organ in the body where we do a blind biopsy. In other words, it's a random biopsy that only covers 1% of the gland. And, and has that's a what 40, a... 40% error rate. Uh, so you're how with... did... All right, let, let's go back. I think we've established uh, a fairly good negative case for PSA. So when did this PSA testing begin to... To, uh, to to become de rigueur for the for the I, I guess it was started really in the 80s uh, uh, whenever you know that there's been an argument about it even the gentleman that that discovered PSA wrote wrote in his wrote a book on it saying you know it's not it's not a cancer marker it, it just isn't I mean like it you know, good sex can raise it. Uh, right. Riding a motorcycle can do it. A horse can do it. Right. Uh, like I told you, if you're working out in the gym and you're bouncing up and down doing presses, go get a PSA and it'll elevate on you. Uh, well, it, the the interesting thing about that is that uh, none of the practitioners, when this first started off back in the 80s, uh, actually knew the answer to any of those questions. I remember clearly going to a urologist, uh, probably about 1990. I went to uh, 88 somewhere in there. Went to the urologist and had the you know baseline digital rectal exam, all this other shit. And he took some blood and and I, you know, came back with a with a wanted to do blood and a, and a do a PSA. You want to take blood for the purpose of a, a PSA assay. And I said to him, I remember this very clearly. I tell you the guy's name. He's probably not even in practice anymore, but I, I remember asking him, what is PSA? And he said, well, he patiently explained that it was prostate-specific antigen. And I said, what is prostate-specific antigen? And he said, it is a marker for prostate cancer. And I said, you don't understand the nature of my question. I want to know what is the substance prostate-specific antigen. And he said, I, I just told you, it is a marker for prostate cancer prostate cancer cells secrete this and i remember asking him why would prostate cancer be so kind as to tell us it's there 
And, and, and he, he he said, well, that's just that's just what it is. It's a prostate specific answer. I mean, the name tells you what it is. But I never did get the answer to the question, which is phrased a better way. Now I would have asked him. No, you don't understand. I want to know: Is prostate specific antigen a protein? Is it an enzyme? Is it a is it a lipoprotein? What is it chemically? What is it? What secretes it? What does it do? And he would not have known what I was talking about. And it's fascinating to me that this stuff has become the source of all of this investigation. When um, what prostate specific antigen is, what that protein is, is in fact uh, a, a substance that increases sperm motility. And it is secreted upon ejaculation by the the prostate gland, so that you the prostate ejaculates the sperm and it puts some PSA into the whatever the name of the protein is. It'll have a big long name, and uh, it, it puts it in with the ejaculate and it increases sperm motility. And that's what it does. And why is that? Because it, the vagina is hostile. Yes, it and it needs the, the help. It needs the help. It will kill the sperm. So you need that to keep the sperm alive. The the prostate creates a transport medium to keep the the sperm alive. And that's why it's there. But that's why it's also uh, present if, like, like, for example, how many times have you gone to the urologist's office and had the digital rectal exam before they took blood <laughs> for for the PSA test. Well, right, if you that's... perturb the prostate, as Joe said, you perturb the prostate with bench pressing or with sex or with riding a horse or a motorcycle Bike. or anything else that puts pressure on the crotch, then you are going to cause the secretion and emission of this protein that we call prostate-specific antigen. And it will show up in the blood as an elevated level. And now, suddenly, you have to have a 12-needle biopsy. And that has... It's one of the mysteries of modern medical business that this is... And that's all it is. And then did you and to go along with that, the finger wave is that they did on you only feels the the bright side of the moon. It misses 60 percent of the prostate that you got to fail, which is anterior to the finger. (laughs) That's exactly right. It's on the dark side of the moon. And then to make that. So so now you're dealing with three low specificities, the PSA, the finger and the blind biopsy. Right. Think about that. And None of and, those three procedures is in and of itself diagnostic of anything. Correct. Correct. Even if you feel a nodule, most of the time it's benign. And 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 then the and the biopsy every week I have to deal with a, a biopsy that missed the cancer. Every week. Like right. like I told you earlier today, the record right now is a gentleman from Boston who had 162 needles over a 10-year period, and they missed his cancer. <laughs> that should be a pissed-off guy. Well, Man, he's not I, the only one. It's not unusual to have 50 needles and miss, 40 needles and miss, 24. Any man that's got a big land, when they walk into my office, I can just about guarantee you they had a, a biopsy because the number one cause, of the PSA to go up is itis, not infection, itis. Inflammation. Got, I, I call it arthritis of the prostate because right. we got arthritis. We got it in our hands, shoulders, knees, hips. We don't know where it comes from. We don't know why it gets there. Maybe well, it comes well, from you, inactivity. We, this year, we've had seven guys come in with itis following the COVID vaccine. It set up prostatitis and the COVID vaccine elevated PSA. 
and they and they came in with an elevated PSA and and prostatitis. It's not infection. You don't need antibiotics. Just just drink a lot of water and, and take you some ibuprofen. And usually you're asymptomatic. Usually you don't even know you have it. Right. It's kind of like if you're taking testosterone. Uh, testosterone can change the gland. In other words, the, the appearance of the gland on MRI, I can see with men that are on testosterone, usually. Because it, it creates a picture that's similar to itis, but they don't know it, but it's not cancer. And, and testosterone will raise your PSA. It can raise your PSA. But that does not mean... <laughs> And I, I wish we no. could we could get this message across to all the primary care physicians and the uh, and the general practitioners in the world. An elevated testosterone level does not cause prostate prostate cancer. No, an it elevated. Doesn't. Pro, let's say that but, again, but what you do. so that everybody understands. An elevated testosterone level does not predispose to prostate cancer. Right. Matter and, of fact, Mark, we've got one dear friend of mine died of metastatic prostate cancer and his PSA was never over two. Oh God. I mean, so yeah. there's prostate cancers that don't produce PSA. They're very dangerous. Those are the ones with the the high Gleason score. It's something else we have to get into. Yeah, we'll talk about that, that particular, because prostate cancer is a bad deal. Sometimes. Yes. Sometimes. Very few of them. Usually less. Usually it's not because it's so thoroughly encapsulated by this hard little chestnut of an organ that's got a thick membrane around it that keeps everything inside of it, inside of it, until you start running needles through it, of course. But uh, you, you've got uh, uh, so much misinformation, and the very people who should be advocating for guys to be taking testosterone replacement therapy are running around with their hair on fire telling everybody that no you don't want to take you don't want to take testosterone that'll give you prostate cancer well you might as well say it'll give you red hair you know that's it's 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 just absolute bullshit and nonetheless here we are in a Half of the population is subjected to this bullshit on a daily basis. And oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's sad. It's sad. You, you, you got to, if you're concerned about your prostate. Now, one thing I would recommend, if you are over 50 years old and you're going to start testosterone therapy, you do want a good MRI. That's the problem. How do you get a good MRI? Right. Well, who's ever going to do your MRI? You better ask them. Are they reading about a thousand of them a year? Are they not? You, they, first of all, you're not going to get a good one, and secondly, it's going to be read poorly. That's a problem. But as you well know in medicine, you know the the, the, the last guy in medical school to graduate, they still call him doctor. But yes, I mean, sir. You, they do. You, you gotta. So the quality of the MRI, MRI when done properly and interpreted properly, has a 98% negative predictive value. You don't have a serious cancer. Now, most of the time, what we see is itis, and then the second thing we see is a big gland. Right. It, it's, it's common. It's extremely common. So usually these guys come in here, and they've had 12 needles, 24 needles, and they're just going to have a big gland. How many uh, people walking around uh, in the male population over 50 have got BPH, benign prostatic hypertrophy? Gee, I would say, golly, it's got to be pretty high. It's uh, it, it's it's going to be at least 60%, if not higher than that. So it's and, 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 essentially and normal to have a, a big prostate. Guys, my age, 70 year olds, uh, we, we've got cancer inside our gland. Probably 70% of us right. have low grade Gleason 6 cancer. So if they put a blind needle in you, uh, or 12 blind needles in you, and about three of them come back Gleason 6, then, oh, you got cancer. I mean, you know, well. well and, and nobody wants to hear that shit, do they? <laughs> and not only that, Gleason 3, in 2012, it was published. 
that Gleason 3 no longer acts like cancer. So they went back and looked at 26,000 men that had their prostates out for Gleason 6. That's 3 plus 3. Right. None of them had metastatic disease. There's never been a documented case of metastasis with Gleason 6. So why are we treating that? Now, well, that's, that's just an excellent question. Tell us for uh, just briefly uh, about the Gleason score. What what yeah, does that Gleason indicate? The Gleason score was set up by Dr. Gleason. It, there's two numbers to a Gleason score, the first number and the second number. The numbers, which are, two, which are three, four, and five, are, are indicators of what the pathology doctor sees under the microscope. The first number is the dominant pattern okay there and and that is three is the considered low-grade cancer three and three plus three is low-grade cancer that's six uh all my so men, the the scores are additive so if you come back with two needles showing gleason three then what you've said to have is gleason no, six no what no, no under the first needle has a core biopsy all right. Most cores are 10 millimeters, okay, 10 to 15 millimeters, most cores. And normally they put in two cores at each location, okay, 246 on one side, 246 on the, on, the right, on the left side. And the first core will usually have 10 or 15 millimeters in it. Now, what they do is they measure that. I, I hope that's the length of the core. That is correct. Not, not the okay. diameter of the core. No, and, 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 and that is correct. But right. that's a big deal, Mark, because yeah. I got guys that come to me and, ooh, you got Gleason 7. Well, how big is the 4? Because we know the 4 component metastasizes. We know it's never been proven that the 3 component metastasizes. Oh, you've got 4 plus 4. Well, well how big is it? Well... We couldn't measure it. It was microscopic. Well, what the heck does that mean? Nobody knows what that means. As a matter of fact, nobody in the world yet knows how much four is dangerous. So in Europe, they watch people with a three plus four, depending on, say you got 90% three and 10% four, 95% three, 5% four. You don't have to treat them. You can watch those guys. And Keith's yeah. going to talk to you all about surveillance, active surveillance, and how we watch people. So instead of getting 12 needles every year, you get a good MRI every year. Right. Because the problem with sixes, the problem with threes, is that fours can live in the neighborhood. And so as that PSA goes up, it may be that that four is, is growing. It may be that your prostate is growing. It may be that you have prostatitis. If, if, you're, if you're a gambling man, the bet's going to be on prostatitis in a big land, not cancer, not significant cancer. See, right. in America, anybody that gets a Gleason 7, a 3 plus 4 or a 4 plus 3, is going to get treated. That's not true in Europe. But in America, if you got a 7, they're going to treat you regardless of what the scores are. All right. And Seven is considered intermediate grade cancer. Gleason eights, nines, and tens are considered high grade cancer. The Europeans believe that if you have an eight, nine, and ten, no matter what we do, it's coming back on you in one to five years. You're going right. to have metastatic. They believe that those cancers, for some reason, have circulating tumor cells. They're already out there. Whereas right. the sixes don't produce circulating tumor cells and the fours do but nobody knows yet how much four occurs that sends out the lieutenants that's not really known medically yet right so there's a lot of men we watch with three plus four now if you got a dominant four if you're four plus three then then i i, I would agree you got to treat those people because and and then it depends on where it is in your gland, too, Mark. If it's right next to your your sphincter, which is keeping you dry, that's going to be a problem. If it's next right. to your sex nerve, your neurovascular bundle, that could be a problem. 
if it's growing into your urethra, that could be a problem. Well, the MRI shows you that. It right. shows you exactly where the tumor if is. It's, if it's near, mean, a, in other words, if it's near a, a vulnerable margin. That, there you go. That, right. that Or, or in, the, in the two fastest ways out of the gland are the, are the seminal vesicles, if it right. involves right. the two water tanks on top of the prostate, right. or if it's growing into the sex nerve, the neurovascular bundle, the nerves that control your continence and control whether or not you get erections. So right. there, there are important questions. There's all these tests out there. There's these new urine tests. The, the, there's two good urine tests. Yeah, you're positive. Well, what does that mean? You, you, you're positive for prostate cancer. It doesn't tell you what kind it is. It doesn't tell you where it is. Doesn't grade it. It, it doesn't grade it. And like my partners in, in Europe say, all it tells you, it makes up for somebody that read a bad MR and said you were negative and you're not negative. Right. <laughs> right. And then the right. other, and then the other thing there's the 4K blood test. Well, it tells you. You know, you have this probability of having cancer. But again, you, you got to turn around and get a good MR. So what you need is a screening MR, which most insurance companies will not pay for. They so, want you to get the 12 blind needles before they'll pay for the MRI. Isn't that amazing? They want you, they'll pay for the more invasive procedure. Right. right. And, and which one is cheaper? Well, that's a good question. I mean, you could probably get a good MRI of the prostate in this city for 300 or or 400 dollars but you go to the hospital it's going to be 3000 right because because of the insurance makeup but if you can if you can negotiate a good cash price that's good but if you get a if you get a 12 needle biopsy that's a that's uh involves anesthesia in New York City, it's $23,000. Down in the South, it's a lot less. Probably. And the insurance will pay for that, but not the MRI. There well, that's go. interesting. No, it's America. <laughs> <laughs> well, America's an interesting place sometimes, isn't it? Particularly so, now. Uh, but, yes, but, but yes the, especially the now. The bottom line is, once you get older, you, you really don't know what's going on in your gland unless you get a picture. And you got to get a good picture. And that's that's hard to do. Don't just go anywhere. You you. As a matter of fact, if it was me, when I used to do breast imaging, I, I like to tell my women, go have a good day. Your breast exam's normal. Your mammogram is normal. I mean, if you're, it, you know, if your if your PSA is ten, you would like to know. You know, I I've just got a big land. That's it. Forget it. See you in about two to three years. You see what right. I mean? Because even right. if you had a bad cancer in there, it's going to take three years before it grows up. It's it, if it didn't show itself now, it's probably not. It's going to take at least a year or two before it shows itself. Right, you've got time, you've unless got you're time. Dan Fogelberg. What? I, <laughs> I I guess there is a type of extremely aggressive prostate cancer, and this would be there the, is. This would be the ten, the Gleason ten type. The, 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 just, nine, the nine, the eights, nines, and t- particularly the nines and tens are very aggressive. They will grow in a year, but they we we see them. We don't miss those. Right. What we miss, we miss the Gleason sixes, because if we were looking under the microscope, the Gleason six looks like normal prostate tissue. It's glandular, whereas right. the the eights, nines, and tens are just sheets of cancer cells. They don't even look like a gland. Right. It's hard to, hard to mistake that for normal tissue. Exactly. I mean, on, that's on obviously MRI, to any pathologist, that's a neoplasm. And it's I mean, I picked up a three millimeter significant cancer the other day. The new MRIs are really, we, we have a top notch MRI with, that we're dealing with. And they re, they can pick, we now know we're picking up small, the, the cancers are so small, we don't know what to do with them except right. watch them. They're so right. small. Or now, you could do you could do focal therapy, but guess what? Nobody pays for that. Right. Well, if if you had a a, a three millimeter Gleason ten lesion, I I treat that. How would you treat it? I would treat it with what was what I do, which is Tulsa therapy, trans, uh, trans urethral urethral ultrasound ablation okay high intensity transurethral ultrasound ablation 
okay? It's, it's high-intensity ultrasound beam, and I've now treated 140 patients in a year and a half. And I can tell you right now, every one of them, nobody's wearing diapers and nobody's wearing pads, and that includes whole gland therapy. We took out the whole gland. Did it today. Guy walked out of here today. And uh, they, matter of fact, he'll go home and have dinner and a glass of wine. Now, so, uh, and, and we can do four. The beauty of Tulsa is you can treat 5%, 10%, 15%. You can treat 100% of the gland. That's the beauty of it. And the guy, after treating his whole gland, they get this. So you put the catheter in him, he's got no blood coming out of his urine. I mean, it's microscopic. Beautiful. I mean, I looked really? at it today. Yeah, when you treat... When you treat a whole gland, usually the urine on the first day looks looks like raspberry juice or right. Well, you, like that. I mean, there's got to be some blood in the shit. I mean, well, a very just... little, but you're not cutting it. it right. you're right. you're blading with heat, but it's so, very controlled therapy. Very. So how does this work? So you go into urethra, and well, what we do first, you're going to put me to sleep when you do that. No, what, we, we, we are the first people in the world to use managed anesthesia care with propothol, like a colonoscopy. Right. So we don't intubate people. Right. Okay? And so you with that... Versed takes care of what needs Well, it's to be a combination of Versed. There's a little bit of fentanyl and, and, and propothol. Right. Although we don't treat you like Michael Jackson. We're monitoring your CO2, your... Right. Uh, your pulse actually we're not doing this regularly right right and then so once the patient's asleep there are two very important parts about tulsa that are interesting constant there's a constant heat exchange going on around the urethra in other words the device that's in your urethra there's actually water transfer going in and coming out so you don't build up heat on the urethra as a matter of fact in my practice, I've had zero urethral injuries so far, zero. And, and, and I've had zero rectal injuries because also while you're asleep, we put a heat exchanger in your rectum. It's a, it's a device that the same thing, water going in, Just water going out. Just the tissue that's not the target. It, it, it does not allow heat to build up. It, it, it does not, it doesn't cool the target. It cools the structures you don't want to damage. Right. The non-targeted structures, right. That is that is correct. Now, does it take a few minutes to get all this properly positioned of where you're going? Yes. Uh, uh, it takes me usually about an hour to map out where we're treating because you are treating the patient live inside an MRI, so you're actually creating a three-dimensional treatment plan. It's 3D, baby. And so, and, so, and no, no other treatment can do that. The, the MRI suite is guiding the two. That's exactly right. That is amazing. Oh, you it's know, interesting. I, every time I've been in an MRI machine, the damn thing has been like uh, being shoved inside of a very small trash can. And... The older I get, the less I like being shoved inside of small trash cans. And so I, I really don't like MRIs. But this suite is apparently large enough to allow you well, to operate. Seven, I have, we have a 70-centimeter bore. The original magnets came out about 60, 65 centimeters. And you just so, reach in and, and... No, what we do is once you're asleep, you're laying on your back. We've got, you know, we're monitoring all these factors on you. And then, then, then we violate you, of course, putting this thing down your penis, which takes about five minutes. It takes about five minutes to put the rectal device in. The real key is, is when after that's all squared away, is where do we position them? This applicator that goes down your penis has 10 transducers in it, five millimeter transducers. So that's 50, <clears throat> that's 50 uh, millimeters. And, uh, and on top of that, you have to position them where you're going to treat. And it, so the device is attached to a robot, which goes into the magnet with the device. And the, the robot helps us move while you're in the magnet. It'll move the device backwards and forwards, and we position it up and down. 
and meanwhile the water's running the whole time and then it has two different energies it has a very high energy and it has a medium energy and and we choose what energies we're operating where in other words i want to stay away from your sex nerve baby i don't want to you know i can honestly say that's the other thing we've got about four or five guys now that want to take Cialis. Everybody's been able to have an erection after the treatment. Now, some want a little bit stronger erection, so they may want to enhance that with drugs. Well, you, you, <clears throat> There's no other technology you, that can tell you. You don't know how much we appreciate that, Joe. <laughs> oh, believe me, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so no, it's a serious problem. I mean, the so guys, this thing goes in there. Think about this. When you get a prostatectomy, you're gonna when you go to surgery, you're probably gonna wear pads for anywhere from a month to six months. Oh, and and they usually take it'll 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 take it'll take six to twelve months to get your sexual function back. If it comes back, if it comes back, that's that's a huge if. Yes, it is. You have to understand. I mean, I I know guys that were damaged by inexperienced surgeons. that peed themselves the rest of their life and it just that's just no way to well it's worse than that if they if they get positive margins with surgery then they're going to radiate your entire pelvis you know what the percentage of incontinence is once you've had a prostatectomy and you undergo salvage radiation oh i would imagine it's almost 100 no it's 50 oh it's 50 percent it Which is fits. shitty odds. No, you, that's better. That's better than Vegas, maybe. <laughs> it ain't good. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's the the. I, look, the I'm an old doctor. I'm big in the breast from the very beginning. Of breast first MR guy to read breast. Uh, the the radical mastectomy went away. I believe the radical prostatectomy will go away at some point. Well, I hope so. The public's going to demand it. See, the public has to get educated. That's what we're trying to do today. Yes. We're, the more we're to get the more information we give guys about what they're going to hear when they go talk to their conventional urologist, uh, and the less satisfied they get with that, the more the more things will change. Well, they scare you. The, it starts sure. with the family physician, like Doctor Nichols. He he knows better. He's not going to send you to a urologist to get stuck. If you got an elevated TSA, I, I guarantee you, the majority of urologists are going to stick you. Sure. The, the studies out of Europe show that 30 to 40 percent of the, the biopsies, the, the blind biopsies in America will go away. But now you got the new biopsy in America, which is called the fusion biopsy, where they take my MRI and they fuse it to their office machine. And then they turn around and put four needles on the target. And, oh, that's not enough. If you get a bad radiologist, you get three targets. That's 12 needles. Then they're going to turn around and stick an additional blind 12 needles, six on each side. So now you're up to 24 needles instead of 12. Now, they just fin- they're just they working on three studies in Europe right now. They just finished one of them. We're trying to prove that this is wrong, okay? And you, it's okay to put the four needles on the target. I'm, I'm not opposed to that. But so on the first study that just completed, it took 100 men that they did this to that got an extra 12 needles. That's 1,200 needles. You know how many cancers they found in that cohort that that we missed on MR? Three. Three. (laughs) 1,200 needles found three cancers. Three cancers. I mean, that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's just absolutely ridiculous. And... uh, Instead of trying to to the modify the these procedures over here so that we don't have to do an invasive needle biopsy, they figured out a new way to do an invasive needle biopsy. Well, Mark, in fairness to the urologist, they are following their guidelines, okay? That standard of care, what you're getting. Yes. And you got to understand that. Let's it's just cover like, your it's ass. Just like it, well, it's just like my gentleman, one of my gentlemen that came in after 10 years of 12 needles. That's 120 needles in 10 years. Not only did they miss his Gleason 9, but he has metastatic disease to bone, which means he's going to die. Well, he was furious. But I, like I told him, I said, 
your urologist, he he followed the guidelines. He stuck you every year. That's what it says to do. It does not say, well, now they've changed the guidelines. They have to get an MRI after the after the negative biopsy. Okay. That but but for a long time, for you until recently, that they're following their guidelines. So now, until the AUA changes the guidelines and and the NCCN the 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 the, uh, the NCCN cancer uh, guide network has got to change their guidelines. Well, you have mentioned a couple of times a good MRI. What separates a good MRI from a bad? All right. MRI? Well, the public likes to think a three T MRI. Well, believe me, all three T MRIs are not the same. I mean. The Germans are get they've just released their fifth generation of 3T. So you don't want to be scanned on a first generation 3T MRI. So you got to ask questions. Uh, the second generation of 3T for the Germans, because I'm I use German technology. The second generation, that there was four iterations of that second generation. There are four iterations of the third generation, which would which, which uh, excuse me which I'm using right now, okay? Uh, but I'm in the fourth iteration of the third generation, so now they're coming out with it. So, you, you so, really, so the quality the, of, the, of the imaging is dependent on the equipment and or the its operation? Running, and the technologist running it, right? which is the doctor's response. And you really have to have a doctor that reads a lot of prostate MRs. It's just like in my former group. We only had three of us. Only, only two of us ended up reading breast MR because they're too difficult. Well, prostate MR is difficult. It's easy to see the big bad tumors, but it's hard to right. see the small right. ones. Right. The little three millimeter nine. The four millimeter, right. yeah. And you got to really be look. It, it, one of the easy parts of it is that the, if the urologist is already stuck in 12 needles, you just better look at the front porch because they either miss the front porch or the two side porches. That's what they miss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you can, if they had a negative 12 needle biopsy, you look at the front porch and the side porch. Right. All right. Let me ask you another question that that's always puzzled me about um, about needle biopsy of of an in, of an encapsulated gland like this. Uh, as I understand the anatomy of prostate, the the capsular ligament essentially around around the gland is very thick and strong. And Not really. It's more like an onion peel, to be honest with you. It is a capsule, but it's layered. It's layered. And it's layered. And not only that, at the bottom, at the bottom of it, which is called the apex, where it comes down as a cone, it interdigitates with the smooth muscle. So a lot of times when you're biopsying the apex, you will bring out smooth muscle at the same time. Right. Now, what you're getting ready to ask me is about what we call needle tracking or needle spreading probably. Yes. Yes. And because now, it seems doctor, real obvious to me, and I this may not be obvious, but it No. It seems obvious to me that we're if you disrupt an encapsulated tumor. Now now the tumor is not is no longer encapsulated and it seems highly likely that you're going to spread some tumor cells. Well, outside the well, capsule. You know, that's a great question. We know for a fact that that happens with lung, liver, other other kidney. It particularly happens with breast. That's why they've cut down the number of core biopsies when you do a breast biopsy. Right. It's not really been proven in the prostate. Now, as a former biopsy guy that stuck thousands of needles in every organ you can think of since I've been doing this for 53 years. Um, Do I believe it exists? Yes. But I think what happens is you drag cells out of the prostate and drop them between the rectum and the the prostate gland. Because when we've looked at a couple cases over the 13 years I've been doing that, we're asking ourselves, how did the cells get right there? How did that get there? Well, uh, it's obvious and, they and fell know, out of the end of the needle. Or, or well, in, there unless there's needles. some negative pressure on the needle to hold the, to hold well, the biopsy well, inside. You use, a co- you use a coaxial system to hold it, which I think works real well. 
But I mean, that's everything you're asking seems logical and it exists in other organs. But to my knowledge, it's never been a proven uh, paper that I've read that talks about this. Uh, it just it always concerns me. Why would you stick needles in something that's absolutely normal that may have microscopic disease in it, right. but nobody knows what microscopic disease means? So why are we sticking it? As a matter of fact, the, the, right. the, the, the evidence-based medicine says that the largest tumor with the highest Gleason score determines your prognosis. That's been written up four different times. For, for back checking. In other words, when you have metastatic disease, what they've been able to prove genetically is that the metastatic disease comes from the queen mother, not all the lieutenants that are sitting in the gland. So right. you've got to find the queen mother. That's the difficult. And, and MRI is the best way to find a clean mother, not, not, not blind biopsies. And, and usually a good MRI can tell you whether you've got a six or seven or eight, nine or 10 by interpretation of the MRI. Right. Most yeah, of my it, patients, and I've done over 7,000 of these targeted biopsies, uh, I can pretty much tell you you're going to have a seven or a six before I even biopsy you. I right. know that by, by interpreting the MRI. Would you then not default to no biopsy and just go straight to Tulsa? That's, that's a great question. Well, you can't do that, and there's a reason behind that. There are, there's, a, there's a disease entity called granulomatous prostatitis. Right. And granulomatous prostatitis looks just like cancer on an MRI. Now, it usually occurs in men that have been treated for bladder cancer, but you don't know what that abnormality is until you put a needle in it. There's another difficult situation on an MRI. We call these, the, the, the prostate gland has two parts to it. It has what's called a peripheral zone or a horseshoe on the outside. That's where the bad cancers usually occur. And then it has a middle zone, which is the, the transitional zone. Now, that transitional zone in the south, we call that kudzu because it grows like a weed. Correct. But, 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 but the problem is you get what we call ectopic nodules, which flip out of that zone and grow in the peripheral zone. And they have identical characteristics to cancer. Uh, so you have to stick a needle in it, okay? So, but but they're, not, they're not malignant. They're in, not the sense, in, in the sense that cancer is. Right, because in, right. inside the transitional zone, the characteristics on the MRI, it's a different histopathology, so it has different characteristics. And, you, and a good MRI radiologist can tell that. The problem is when it occurs out in the peripheral zone, you got to really stick a needle in it to prove what it is. Now... I think you'd be run out of town on a rail treating people without having a diagnosis. Right. Now, what we do do, since Tulsa can treat both the overgrowth of the gland safely as well as the cancer, we do have men that come to us that are miserable in life because of the big land. You know, they're getting up four times a night. They can't get started. They can't stop. They get urinary retention. Those guys may already have a diagnosis of Gleason 6, and they were on surveillance. <clears throat> well, we can treat both things at the same time. Now, those guys I won't re-biopsy because, in my opinion, that's just doing a wallet biopsy. You're just collecting money. Right. So that th right. those people you can just treat. Le medically, legally, you can treat a 6, even though I want to watch those guys. Now, or, is, is, is a... a a diagnosis of BPH in the absence of a, a high Gleason rated tumor, is that an indicator for surgery? Is this simple BPH by itself? If it's causing mechanical obstruction and, and problems, can you well, ablate something like way. that? That's a, that's a great question. 
the way I treat my patients, and this is my practice, uh, all my men are evaluated with urology quantitative testing. In other words, they, they call them the IPSS score, the International Prostate Scoring System. Uh, it's a QOL, quality of life score. There's another score called the SHIM score, which is a sexual score. There's another sexual score called IIEF, the International Erection Score. Well, I score all my guys, okay? I get images of all my guys. But to be honest with you, Mark, I don't operate on pictures and I don't operate on numbers. You have to come to me and be miserable. Because I had a guy. There has to be more than, more than just signs. There have to be symptoms. Right, yeah, to me, but they have to be significant symptoms. I had a guy right. in here the other day that's got a, 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 a 290cc gland. I mean, it's a horrible-looking gland. He's, he's essentially asymptomatic. He, he, doesn't, he gets up once a night, all <laughs> your life is good. I mean, yeah. now, now the danger on him is... <clears throat> Will he go into urinary retention sometime in the next five years? Without but even I've knowing. Counseled him, I've counseled him on he'll, he'll, the, those symptoms usually come on slowly and he'll know he's getting into trouble. Or else somebody's going to do something, stick a catheter in him, he won't be able to get rid of the catheter. So I operate on people, not numbers and not pictures. So you, when it comes to BPH, to me, you got to be, you, you got to have symptoms. And believe me, we have we have treated some. We set a record for the company, the, the Tulsa company. We treated a 275 cc gland, and normal is 30 to 40 cc's. We've treated about six people with 160. We treated a doctor's brother that had a two 225 cc, 225 cc gland. These are big glands. And, and and they're and they're very symptomatic. And matter of fact, some of these guys they can't get rid of the catheter. They're living with the catheter. One of the guys they can't pull it out, or they can't function they, without it. You mean they can't function without it? They're wow. either self catheterizing or they're they living with a catheter. Well, that oh, we got be, one guy. That is a contraindication for 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 everything. <laughs> See, the problem is there, there's about. There, there's about five or six ways to, uh, to, to to treat BPH. One way I wish would go away forever would be the Eurolift, which is on advertised on TV. Uh, it, it fails within months. It doesn't work well. It doesn't work well with big glands. And, and, and once you put that metal in your gland, buddy, you are screwed. You can't have any kind of temperature treatment because the metal creates temperature uncertainty with all the ablation techniques. You right. cannot properly evaluate the temperature. So I personally believe that thing ought to be taken off the market. I know the company doesn't want to hear that, but I, it's sad what I've seen on guys running around with all that metal in your prostate. Yeah, I'm, I'm not even familiar with that. What is a Eurolift? It, it's kind of like a, a, a special metallic special metallic device that a piece of it goes out on the outside of your prostate, and then there's a, a wire that attaches to another flat piece and, and supposedly pulls open the urinary tract. Pulls the mass away from the urethra. Yeah. Right. Well, you can imagine what's going to happen. If you don't ablate the tissue, it's going to grow around it. Sure, and, sure. And... and even when you have the old-fashioned terp, which I would could never have, because uh, it's a bloody mess and it doesn't necessarily work and it has all kinds of side effects. One thing nice about Tulsa, it's been our experience, and and there are trials running in Europe right now with Tulsa for BPH, BPH. Yeah, for BPH We've attacked, itself. Yeah, we, we we well because what they noticed in in the Tulsa trial that which started in 2015. And, and what they noticed on the 115 men that were on the trial, that most of them were sleeping all night and they, their urinary symptoms improved, even though they were cancer treatments, but they were whole gland treatments. So they decided, hey, let's take a look at this because this is a treatment 
that five years into the treatment, they're still getting good urinary results. Well, most of the treatments like the green light laser and the HOLIP laser, they don't necessarily last for five years. So the, the, the beauty of the Tulsa, it seems to be a lasting effect. Now we're accumulating data on that because it's new technology. But right. you know, you want the guy to get, you know, if you're buying a car and you're spending that much money, you, you want it to at least run for five years. Sure, sure. And it, it seems to me as though uh, an un- uncomplicated BPH diagnosis that's causing you to get up four or five times a night, that's that's cause for intervention. I mean, surely yes, to God, you, I, you can't sleep. You the know? problem is, is that the insurance coverage covers all the bad treatments, but not... But not the good ones. Also. Yeah, well, it... Yeah, well, that's not really news, is it? <laughs> well, we hope by 2024 they will have coverage. At least that's what well, the companies. So many things make so little sense here in 2020. Good medicine in general is not covered by insurance. <laughs> yeah, as a, as a general rule. Yeah. I mean, what do you get? You what do you get paid? Ten dollars to talk to a patient when really you need to talk to them a long time. Sure, they won't pay you for that. Right. Well, it, and, it, and and there are doctors that uh, won't talk to you for a minute. There's a lot of those. Right. A lot of those that's assembly right. line things, you know, where they have the office set up with uh, five doors on either side of the hall, and uh, you know, guys in the room for 45 seconds. Well, then but he's I'll on to you, the next guy. You know, it ain't what it used to be. I've been doing it 53 years. It's yeah. really changed. Yes. I'm very blessed. I have a private clinic here. We see about three or four patients a day, and that's about it. Well. You know, but it's a cash clinic. We don't take insurance. That way I can spend an hour or two with you. There There you go. go. That's that's Because if you have, quote, unquote, cancer, you need to be spending an hour or two with the doctor. Yes. Yeah. Because you're scared. Because you're terrified. Because cancer scares people. And it's, it's and they'll, they'll a, scare the hell out of you with a Gleason six. That's it's what a, I hate. It's a it's a interpreted as a death sentence. Correct. When it, when it may not at all be. Right. So, that's correct. So as a stepping back, uh, prostate cancer is if it's bad, will kill you. But it's not usually fatal most men die with prostate cancer not of prostate cancer correct that's a fair statement and if you come back with a big shift in your psa score uh let's say you go from a 4.1 uh on your checkup last year to a to a 6.1 this year they're going to want to stick needles in your ass. My patients I, I, say I no. tell you what, I'm not. I'm not going to let them do it. I'm well, not going to have an MRI. I'm not going to have. If they, if if it worries me enough, I'll get an MRI. But I'm not going to be biopsy. I'm not going to have that done to me. And no, you. Uh, and really, usually, I can tell you whether there's a lot of my guys that I see, Mark, that have Gleason sixes. I can look at the scan. And I bet a lot of money it's a six. Well, why do I not biopsy him? Because if I biopsy you and you're a six, what am I going to tell you? Come back next year. So I look right. at the lesion, I see it, I think we're safe. I just tell you, come back come next back year. Next year. Nothing's changed, be, except there's no needles. Be. Oh, I've got guys I've been following for 12 years with Gleason sixes. I got guys with three plus fours I've been following for 10 years. I got one guy who's a famous athlete in the South from Florida who, <laughs> who walked out of the radiation center 12 years ago after they castrated him for three months and getting ready to put gold seeds in him. And that was 12 years ago. And he said, boy, Dr. Bush, I'm not dead yet, am I? <laughs> and I didn't even get treated. I mean, it, it, that, that, that's what we see. Now, some I have to admit, some guys, Mark, over a three to five year period, they do develop a significant cancer, but you can see that. We just recently treated a guy, we've, 
they tried to take out his prostate seven years ago. Seven years ago. And he told me, like this year, when he did change and, and we rebiopsied him, and now he's got a four plus three. Well, you could tell it was growing and changing. He said, Dr. Bush, we fooled him for seven years. I said, that's exactly right. You had a normal sex life. And, of course, he's still dry. He's doing fine. And he's still getting erections. But we finally had to treat him with Tulsa. Well, I, you know, I, I just got my blood back today from a, uh, a screening I did uh, last week. And uh, first thing, the guy called me and said, look, said, look, I, 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 I need to talk to you about this. Your, your PSA is a 7.1. And I said, I don't care what it is. I don't really care. Last year. I had one of these done. It was a 10.1. So it went down. It went down. So you three probably times. got a big, you probably have a big land. Or you, or you got I, I've been told I don't. I've been told by the last guy that did a digital rectal exam on me that I have a very small prostate. He made a point of saying, you have a very small prostate. For a man your age, you have a very small prostate. And, uh, so I, you know, I don't have any problems peeing. I can produce a beautiful six-foot stream of clear piss out in my parking lot when I need to go real bad. Do you, uh, do you have – did you change your testosterone dose? No. I've been doing about the same thing for years, decades. And uh, yeah. I've, I've had absolutely no trouble with it at all. I Now, like, like you've mentioned, PSA varies with – with activity, it varies with pressure, varies with ejaculation, varies with all kinds of things that might have explained the 10.1 and might have explained the lowered 7.1. And I, I don't, I am not going to act scared about PSA. I'm not going to do it. Now, if the next time I go in, it comes back and it's 48, well, I'm going to, I'm going to come see you. No, I wouldn't do that. I, I'd get it before 48. <laughs> well, I, yeah. I mean, no, if it, like do, next year, it's 48. I, I'll, I'm going to, I'll, I'll, I'll drive it. out. If you really want to know what's going on, you, you take the PSA at three month intervals. Right. And if it just right. keeps climbing, 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 it, it doesn't bounce up and down. Up and right. down is good. Then you got to get an MRI to see what, what's right. going on in there. Because right. you're on testosterone, which will make it bounce up. Right. And, of course, if you're on this medicine that uh, that they help you pee, like, be, beware the men that are taking finasteride. Because right. it cuts the PSA in half and makes your hair grow. But it can hide cancer. Right. I hate that drug. Well, I'm not taking finasteride. Here, look. <laughs> So, uh, I don't care about that either. (laughs) Well, man, I appreciate it, Joe. This has been a very informative, uh, hour here. And, uh, I really appreciate your coming on the, on the podcast with us. A lot of people will get a lot of good out of this. I think if they have questions, how do they get a hold of you? Well, we, we, our clinic is the bushcenter.com. And of course, we got a phone number too that we have uh, two employees that'll answer the phone. And usually it's a live answer, it's not a, right. a telephone pickup. So it's, we have a problem. it's Bush, spelled like, like the, the shitty beer. Like the, like the beer, not, right. not the present. Right, right. So you've got, uh, just look him up on uh online get the phone number give them a call you guys are interested yeah bushcenter.com's got a a lot a lot of information on about what we've talked about right and we've uh, interviewed some of the best radiologists and like me in the world have been to my center there's a select group called the international prostate working group the same guys that taught me in europe have all come over here to visit and we've made videos of that talked about what we talked about today Yes, this is extremely valuable information for you guys that are concerned about this. 
and don't let uh, your family doctor, don't let your urologist bullshit you into doing an unnecessary needle biopsy. Don't let them do it. It's not necessary, and it's not it's not even diagnostic. If something is wrong, and there may well be something wrong, then get it imaged and get it done correctly so that you actually know what the hell is going on. Yeah, and we you do don't a have lot an of, unnecessary intervention. That's terribly important. We do a lot of second opinions on videos from all over the world. In other words, they'll send us their pictures. Right. They've been told right. they had cancer, and it may not be cancer. So they don't even need a biopsy then. They can be misinterpreted. Right. Uh, so we, we actually, if they'll send us the images, then we can do a video conference. Right. And I can actually show them the, video, the images on the screen. Right. And what That's I'm talking about. Such a valuable resource. You guys take advantage of this and uh, get a hold of uh, Dr. Bush at the bushcenter.com and uh, let him... Uh, let him help you with this. And more importantly, just calm down. Calm the fuck down, all right? So everybody just calm down. All right? Don't let your family practice doctor scare the shit out of you. Don't don't let it happen. All right? Joe, thank you, sir. Sure appreciate it. All right, Mark. All right. Appreciate you letting us come on. Absolutely. Talking we'll, with you. we'll talk again. Thank yeah, you. we'll give you some follow-up once we yeah. have a couple of years under our belt with this Tulsa because it really and looks promising. Absolutely. We well, will well. visit about it again in the future. Thank All you righty. for being Thank here. you, Mark. Thank you, sir. Thank you for being with us on Starting Strength Radio. We'll see you next time. <laughs>